uh, we've known uh, that for more than 20 years now that those that take on broader positions of influence in their organizations, uh, about half of them fail within the first 18 months of their assignment. Um, I, I, I stumbled onto that by a phone call from a young leader who had worked on uh, one of our transformational products, and during which he was very distinguished and very impactful. People adored him. He was seen as high potential. And so at the end of the assignment, when he was offered the chance to take on a broader position of leadership in the, in the new transform world, nobody was surprised, and everybody assumed he would do quite well. And about nine months later, I saw his name in my caller ID, and I uh, was excited. I assumed he was calling to tell me about all kinds of great things they had done and progress he had made. But sadly, he was calling to tell me he'd been fired. Uh, I needed help finding another job. And of course, that was, you know, a little, take, took the wind out of me, but I barely had time to catch my breath when two hours later, the CEO called also to tell me they let him go. And he was a bit angry. He was sort of more than implying that some of the responsibility for his failure was mine for not having better prepared him. That was devastating to hear. And I said, could we come back into to the organization to look around to see if we could find out what could have gone wrong? How could we have so badly misjudged his potential? And that, that investigation led to a 10-year longitudinal study with more than 2,700 people in it um, that led us to the findings and rising to power. What's going on, my friends? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week, I'm bringing you a book. I'm condensing it down with core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author on this show to talk about those golden nuggets, and I'm here week after week just saving you a little bit of time. If you like the show, then please go online, rate and review the show on any type of platform that you're listening on, whether it's SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, doesn't matter. Rate and review the show and send me an email with that screen capture. Just take a picture of it so I know that you rated it, just so I know you reviewed it. And I'm going to enter you into a draw because in two weeks' time, I'm going to be giving away a MacBook Air. So definitely get your ratings and your reviews in just to get yourself in that draw. And not only are you in the draw this quarter, but you're also in the draw for every other quarter thereafter for a brand new prize. So get your ratings in. So I have to apologize. I uh, was not here last week. I was in um, Puerto Vallarta two weeks ago, as you know. And I said I wasn't going to do a podcast because I was in Mexico, obviously. And I came back. I was planning to do a podcast. And then everything hit the fan. (laughs) I got back on Saturday night. And on Sunday morning, I woke up with a fever. And everything that you could imagine was coming out of me was coming out of me. I could not walk. I was just on the floor, passing out. It was a scene. It was a scene. But it, it took me a while to rebound. But... By the time I got back to it, it was already Wednesday and I had zero energy to get on the mic and even conduct an interview. So I pushed everything back. So that's why I wasn't here last week. So thank you so much for your patience. And uh, I do apologize. But honestly, there was nothing I could do. I was in rough shape. And uh, we went down with a really big party. And I think there was maybe about 12 of us that got sick. So unfortunately, just a part of travel and, um, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But I'm back better than ever, baby. So this week, we're talking to Ron Carucci about his book, Rising to Power, The Journey of Exceptional Executives. Now, I picked up this book because I was interested in understanding what people go through when they climb the corporate ladder. Now, I climb the corporate ladder and I know that I go through different experiences and I experience things that maybe I'm not prepared for. There's expectations put on me that I wasn't aware of. 
There are decisions that I have to make or had to make that I wasn't prepared to make. There were relationship shifts that happened that I wasn't prepared for. And so there were a lot of different things that I really wasn't prepared for as I started to climb the corporate ladder. And I'm sure the same is true for you as you're climbing the corporate ladder, if that is something that you're doing. And so this book, Ron Carucci, he talks about the things that happen to people and the things you have to prepare for as you're climbing the corporate ladder. And I think it's very interesting because he comes from a, um, a broad perspective as he looked at so many different individuals. This is 10 years of his research and work put into a book of people climbing the corporate ladder and understanding what happens to people. Why do people fail? Why is it that after 18 months, most people that climb the corporate ladder fail? Why do you think that is? In my opinion, that's terrifying. 18 months, you're talking a year and a half and you're already failing? It's because you're not prepared. And so to prepare, you have to read the right books. And so this book right here, Rising to Power, will help you truly understand what to expect as you climb the corporate ladder and even more importantly, how to prepare yourself. There's a lot of really, really good takeaways from this episode, so I hope you enjoy it. Give it a listen, and I'll catch you back here at the very end. Enjoy. I'm very excited today to bring our guest, Ron Carucci, the author of Rising to Power, The Journey of Exceptional Executives. Ron, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Ryan. So great to be with you. Uh, it's great to have you on the show, my friend. So in classic Cut the Crap podcast fashion, you and I, we're going to sit down. We're going to deconstruct Rising to Power. I really enjoyed this book and actually recommended it to um, a lot of um, individuals that I'm mentoring or coaching at this point in time where they are, uh, they're coming up in the world. They're coming up in the world and maybe they don't know quite what to expect. So before we get into the book, maybe give us a quick description about um, who you are and what you do. Yeah, you bet. So I get to spend my days with my colleagues at Navalent, traipsing through the world uh, in all kinds of ways, most larger organizations or in startup organizations, accompanying leaders who are in the throes of some disruptive and tumultuous transformation. And so we accompany them through the turbulence of whatever has either beset them or what they've imposed themselves to help them through some journey of of change. Um, We do that uh, all over the world. We've been doing it for 13 years as a firm, and it's a, it's a, it's a fun way to spend your day. Oh, I could imagine. I could imagine. So why, why did you write this book in the first place? Like, What common problems are you seeing people having that made way for a book like this? Uh, yeah, so it began personally. Um, so uh, we've known uh, that for more than 20 years now that those that take on broader positions of influence in their organizations, uh, about half of them fail within the first 18 months of their assignment. Um, I, I, I stumbled onto that by a phone call from a young leader who had worked on uh, one of our transformational products and during which he was very distinguished and very impactful. People adored him. He was seen as high potential. And so at the end of the assignment, when he was offered the chance to take on a broader position of leadership in the, in the new transform world, nobody was surprised and everybody assumed he would do quite well. And about nine months later, I saw his name in my caller ID and I uh, was excited. I assumed he was calling to tell me about all kinds of great things they had done and progress he had made. But sadly, he was calling to tell me he'd been fired. Wow. Uh, I needed help finding another job. And of course, that was, you know, a little, t- took the wind out of me, but I barely had time to catch my breath when two hours later, the CEO called also to tell me they'd let him go. And he was a bit angry. He was sort of more than implying that some of the responsibility for his failure was mine for not having better prepared him. Hmm. Wow. And that was, devasta- that was devastating to hear. And I said, could we come back into to the organization to look around to see if we could find out what could have gone wrong? How could we have so badly misjudged his potential? And that 
that investigation led to a 10-year longitudinal study with more than 2,700 people in it um, that led us to the findings in Rising to Power. It was, um, it was uh, agonizing to watch the carnage behind that much waste. He, he, that, that promising young leader had just become one more statistic on the pile, um, and it was painful to see. And he's gone on to do great things since, but um, I went back to that leader, and I, I said, you're right, I should have been better prepared to have shown him all of the landmines he was going to run into, but you need to take responsibility for putting those landmines there. <laughs> That's exactly because right. Because it was, it, it was stunning to me the way – it's a wonder any of the leaders rising up can succeed with the number of, of obstacles organizations are putting in their way to, to cause them to derail. Um, it was painful. Um, so, of course, as the research unfolded, as the data, data was dissected, it was exciting to see that this is fixable. This carnage doesn't have to stay this way. We don't have to just accept the fact that half of people we put up into broader assignments don't have to flame out. Uh, and it's been very gratifying since to receive lots and lots of notes and emails and voicemails and instant messages on Facebook from people who've applied the material and gone on to make different choices as a result and have mm-hmm. their careers gone on to thrive. That's the, the, the problem we wanted to solve. So mm-hmm. it's exciting to hear that it's being used that way. Absolutely. And it is a real problem. I, it, it's very sad because you see a lot of the excitement in people's eyes when they start getting promoted and they start moving up that ladder and they go from coordinator to a manager to a director to a C-suite and they get excited about it, but there's just this looming fear over their mind of, can I do this? And am I prepared yep. for this? And this book really helps to address that. So if you're out there... And I know you're out there right now, you're listening to this, and you know, you're looking to move up the corporate ladder. This is a very important book, and some um, really good insights are going to be shared here um, in this interview. So definitely be taking notes and get out there and pick up the book after you're, uh, you're done listening to this episode. But you break up the book into four sections. Um, number one, ascend. Number two, adjust. Number three, assert. And number four, affect. What was your rationale behind that? Why did you break it up into the four sections? Yeah, great question, Ryan. So, you know, um, most people have asked us, why didn't you just organize the book around the answer in Chapter 7? <laughs> and the, we, we were, because that's how most people organize their books, right? Here's the answer. Right. And we were very intentional, because that's not how real life works, right? I, we wanted to organize the book around the actual experience of the, of the, of the ascender, mm-hmm. of what it's like to, to rise up, experience the altitude sickness, the distortions, the oddities of higher altitudes and organizations, the weird things that go on, the strange things people say to you, the all of a sudden people who used to love you now don't love you anymore, all of the weirdness that happens. We wanted to organize the book by the experiencer of the journey mm-hmm. to say, we get it. We understand what's happening to you. It's, you're not crazy. And, and, and here's how to navigate the journey. So for us, it was far more about the ascent up as much as it was about the arrival there. Um, both are important, and both require different kinds of success. But if you can't make it up to the new, new perch, what's the point of talking about the answer? <laughs> mm, absolutely. So on that note, let's start on gold nugget number one. So in gold nugget number one, we're going to dig into the section on ascend. So when people start to climb the corporate ladder you say that they have to acclimate to new heights, like a mountain climber that climbs too fast and they experience a type of sickness. So you're saying that people, when they climb high too fast, what happens to them when they climb too fast? Paint a picture for yeah, us. Yeah, so, and, you know, so, so let's, let's go back to your introductory comments where you talked about the self-doubt. Right? So there's this tape in your head that, 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 that you feel like an imposter. You feel like, am, are they gonna get, am I going to get found out? Am I going to get um, discovered? Are, 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 are people now second-guessing me? Um, I'm not going to let people down. Um, 
you know, sometimes occasionally you have the overly cocky, I got this, mm. but that's not, that's, that's the case. And more about the, it's more about um, the, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure I've got what it takes. And so I start um, feeling weird. That, then you have the reality of, um, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to have all the answers? Am I supposed to um, um, feel like I, I, I've been given a, a, a task, so I have a mandate that I've got to get something done, so I've got to, I've got to prove myself? Um, and and you, you're also, you've been conditioned to see the world. You know, from the position you came from, whether it was a functional discipline or a regional discipline or something, you, you, you've been trained to see the world in a certain way, and so you, you're naturally, by default, inclined to miss things. Um, the other thing that changes is relationships, right? So people who used to be your peers are now your direct reports. People who used to be your bosses are now your peers. People who you never worked with before are now your bosses. And all of that changes, right? So suddenly people who used to go to beers with are now going, oh, can't, go to, can't talk to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Or they, they start asking you for information you can't give them because they, you know, oh, come on, you can tell me. Right. And you start getting politically pressured to behave in ways you you're, you're struggle with because, you know, and then you get the whole... Oh, I see. You're one of them now. Mm, you know, and, and so you start getting alienated as uh, a higher up. Um, oh, you're too good for us to go to beers now, huh? Right? So you start getting judged. And so, so then you feel isolated. You feel lonely. You feel like, um, wait a minute. I don't, I, I, I'm still me, mm-hmm. but I'm also in this other role. And how do you reset all those boundaries so that you know what relationships you can keep intact, what ones you can't? Um, what relationships you have to reform now? People who, who see you as the junior guy, but, but really are your peers, but still treating you like the junior guy. Well, how, do you, how, do you, how do you talk to them? And so all of that acclimational stuff that happens when you get to a new place can be very disorienting for leaders. So they overcompensate. They try and prove themselves. They try and do too much. They try and implement too much change. They try and exert too much influence. Or you know, they, they play the, hey, I'm the boss now card. Um, or the worst, they just give up their power. They, um, they get um, uh, too panicked, and so they're too anxious to use their power, so they try and make everybody happy, and they mm-hmm. try and placate, and they try and make sure people like them, because they, 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 I, the, the, the intensity of being isolated and being rejected by people is too, too much, and so they acquiesce. Um, and if nobody tells you that any of that's going to happen to you, and it all is, mm-hmm. and it starts to happen to you, you, you just feel like you're on a different planet. You feel like you can't breathe. You feel like the air is thinner. Um, and if nobody says to you, this is normal, this is supposed to be happening, and here's what you do, um, then some leaders topple quickly. Some people white-knuckle it for a while, but then cave. It's, but it's terrible to watch, but it's very predictable and very, um, very addressable. Mm. And I guess one of the challenges there is that maybe when people get into new roles, and they become more senior level executives, they don't prepare themselves for that, that change in reality. And, oh my God, I never realized that, you know, my friends are now my peers and, you know, maybe now I can't tell them certain things. And just what you're saying there, you know, you're having beers and, oh, I can't come out. I got to stay a little bit later. That reality changes for you. And a lot of times maybe people aren't prepared for that change. And maybe people don't even want that change when it comes down to it. But um, I like how you said at the very front where, you know, how you organized the book was to paint the picture. And right at the very beginning, when you ascend up the corporate ladder, that's reality changing. And you got to be prepared for that. And you got to know whether or not in your mind that's something that you truly want. But let's just say that you do move up the ladder 
And it's, you know, I want to move up the ladder, but I want to maintain my, my relationships. I want to, you know, maintain good communication. What kind of advice do you have for those people who are moving up the ladder, um, you know, that want to maintain great relationships that don't want to change who they are? Well, and so it's, a great, it's great to know that, A, you don't have to change who you are, but B, you, you absolutely have to reset boundaries. If you want to be successful in that role, you have to go to those people you were close with who were your direct reports before, um, who you're not going to interact with anymore, and say, hey, we need to talk about how this relationship's going to go now. Here's who I want to be to you. Here's who I can be to you. Here's who I can't be to you. Um, what do you want from me? What do you expect from me? You have to go to people who were your peers who are now your direct reports, and say, okay, we were buddies before, now I'm in charge here, okay? So let's talk about how, what kind of boss I can be for you, what, kind of, what I need from you, and how our relationship is going to change and how it's not going to change. And let's negotiate that. So let's have an intentional conversation about that. People who used to be your bosses who are now your peers, who you find, you know, who, who spec you need to earn now in a different way. Start a conversation that says, okay, so um, I don't report to you anymore, or I don't, I'm not... I'm not accountable to you anymore, or you aren't more senior anymore. We're peers now. How's this going to go? How mm-hmm. are we going to work through this so that we can collaborate well together? We can be good colleagues. We can be good peers. Um, what, what, what is it? Where have, I, where have I earned your trust? Where haven't I earned your trust? Here's what I need from you. Here's how I can use your help. Be very intentional about naming who those key stakeholders are in your new world. And if they're reformatting relationships, go reformat them. Go hit the F9 refresh key on those relationships and start again and put some, put some new rules in place so that nobody is caught off guard and, and not, so that you're not caught off guard. And when people get political with you, when people start to try and bait you with um, uh, gossip or when they start to bait you with asking for favors or currying influence with you or some bizarrity, you know, be prepared with knowing what your principles are. What are your values? What are the, what are the rules for you that are going to govern how you interact with other people? Um, and and, and, and you've got to find the courage to call the question, you know, and say, please don't ask me for information you know I can't give you. Mm. Please don't ask me to do things for you because of a previous relationship we had that's a favor. You please don't expect me to compromise my integrity um, and, and, and call that good collegiality because I'm doing you no favor, no favor by treating you differently that way. So please don't ask that of me. Mm. Be very prepared to stand your ground and trust that you will be respected for it. We bled a little bit into the next gold nugget, which is about adjust. So you painted the picture with ascend. Then as you move into adjust, you're talking about changing those realities. And as you're talking there, a lot of this is just steeped in really good communication with your peers, your colleagues, and making sure that you have, you know, clarity in terms of how things have changed. You have to call it out. And we always know the importance of communication and the importance of over-communication, I guess it has to be even more appreciated here because when you do move up the ladder and I have family members or friends who have moved up where they used to work with their peers and now they're the manager. Um, It would be important for them to actually have that information because I know that some of them have lost relationships with them, friendships even, because they've moved up and they haven't addressed those things. But if they actually do take the time away to address a lot of those elements and say, here's how the relationship has changed, here's what I can tell you, what I can't tell you, if they do what you said there, I think they can save themselves a lot of heartache and create almost clear expectations in terms of what I can expect from you and what you should expect from me. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest takeaways here is just expectation management when somebody changes a role in the organization. Well, I think it's a, a, a relational expectations, but it's also role expectations. Mm. A, a lot of times, you know, leader, leaders 
begin by being distrusted. And these days, with so much leadership failure, people start by assuming you can't be trusted. And so um, you, you also have to recognize that your influence now extends beyond you. So one of the hardest things that happens people is how they get distorted. People start ascribing motives to you. They start, it's, I tell my, my clients that have ascended to some higher role, assume that you have a megaphone strapped to your mouth 24-7 and assume that your life now plays out on a jumbotron. And, and it's, it's not fair. You, 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 people distort you. They concoct you. They have, there are versions of you all over the world. You know, if you are responsible for people who are, no, are not within your reach, trust me, they're talking about you at the dinner table, and you get to decide what, what stories they tell, but you are being concocted in some way. You, things will be attributed to you that you never said. Hmm. Um, motives will be attributed to you that you don't have. You'll walk down the hall quickly, and they'll say, oh, he's angry. You'll walk down the hall slowly reading something, and they'll say, oh, she's concerned about something. Hmm. They, they, they will read you like a tea leaves, and they'll eventually hopefully learn to read you accurately and, and, and know your patterns. Make sure you ask what those are. Make sure you know how people are interpreting you know, how you show up in a room or how you close or shut a door or how you begin a conversation because people are going to ascribe meaning to it that may or may not be there. Wow. And so all that disorientation to how you're now being perceived – people aren't ready for. And if you're not managing that reputation, if you're not managing that perception well, it gets away from you. You can't control every paranoid, weird, odd thought that happens in people's brains that you may trigger. Because now that you're a boss, you're, you're, you're somebody's gym teacher. You're somebody's parent. You are triggering all kinds of transference in people with your authority that you can't control, but you have to at least know that people may react to you in ways that you have no control over. But certainly for the places where you can be influential and proactive, prepare to be viewed and seen and understood and interpreted in ways you actually would want versus not want. Um, and all that says is have a plan. When you enter the role, especially if you're entering from outside the organization, have a plan. How will you learn? How will you connect? How will you collect data? Um, what do you have to learn? What do you have to change? What do you have to adapt? Have a very well-constructed plan for how you're going to arrive hmm. into the new altitude or the new organization of a new place and, and, and really stick to the plan. You know, when people start pressuring you for results too early, say, sorry, too soon. Mm. Um, I, we hear it all the time. I'm just going to spend the first 90 days listening and learning before I do anything. <laughs> and two weeks in says, where's your 90-day plan? And suddenly the, that, the learning journey goes out the window, and I start, you know, tossing up dust and forming task forces and hiring consultants <laughs> and kicking up all this mayhem to make it look like I'm doing something. Mm. And, of course, we all know that, that drama's short-lived of course so you know these are all going to be strange things that happen to you you can prepare for them so i mean we really touched on on adjust we've touched on um ascend the next nugget here that i'm really taking away here is the third section on assert now you touch on somewhat of a dark reality and unfortunately we see some of this too much today where people they rise in positions of power and they, for lack of a better word, they pervert or they abuse their power even. And we're seeing a lot of this today. Why does that happen? And, and, and how do you prepare yourself for that? I mean, I don't believe that people wake up in the morning looking to abuse their power. Maybe some do. I don't know. But what, how do you prepare somebody for that? And, and how do you avoid that almost? You know, it's a great question, Ryan. Um, I actually just did a, did a TED Talk a couple weeks ago on, on this very chapter on power. Um, and what's so surprising, I mean, the, 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 the abuses of power get the headlines, right? It's, it's every, way, every day we're waking up now to some new horrible story of somebody we thought was trustable, now, now coming to learn that they were highly self-interested and 
um, immoral. But the reality was the biggest finding in the study was that the majority of abuse of power was not for self-interest. The, the biggest abuse of power was the abandonment of it. There were far more leaders disinclined to use power at all because they were so averse to it. They were so afraid of being seen that way. They were so um, anxious about the, 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 what they could cause that they froze. And so um, my belief is that we'll have a world of people far less inclined to abuse their power if with more of us who have the power actually have the courage to use it. Hmm. And so how you get somebody the courage um, to, to actually exercise power, to bring justice to their organizations, to restore a sense of potential in people. You know, we talk about three sources of power. You have power in your position, you have power in information, and you have power in your um, relationships. And each of those has, a, has a, an enormous amount of good you can do in your position. You know, you're going to inherit all kinds of injustices. When you, when you become a leader. There'll be unfair policies. There'll be people who feel mistreated or underseen, people who haven't given chances, um, processes that misallocate resources. Um, and the minute you have a sense of unfairness, you become the target. And, and people's, a sense of unfairness sets the stage for entitlement. And entitlement means I have the, I have the right to take, mm-hmm. right? So with your power, you can create justice. You can create a sense of, people don't want 100% fairness, but they do want equity. They do want to know that your decision-making is just and it's transparent in our relationships with those we lead whether they're peers or directs or bosses we can we can help people become more successful we can help people discover the greatest versions of themselves um but we have to lean into that power sometimes that means telling people hard truths mm-hmm. and giving people hard feedback but but the power in our relationships as leaders have far-reaching implications and with information if we share it justly and not like gossip or don't divulge confidences we can help change perspectives we can give people you know, too often leaders withhold information because they think it's power. We have Google now. There's no point in withholding information. Of course. Um, but if you share it judiciously, you can change minds. You can change perspectives. You can influence choices. And so using, you know, having information isn't power anymore, but having an interpretation of the information that others find meaningful is powerful. Mm. And so using your insight in, as a leader um, responsibly those are all sources of power that if leaders can become comfortable with and find the courage, you know, the, the hardest part uh, of power for leaders is knowing that you have to disappoint people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. That's what it is. And if you don't want to hold people accountable, if you don't want to disappoint them by saying no, if you don't want to have to narrow the focus of people on just a few things to be successful, which means saying no to really good ideas, if you're not ready for that, if you don't have the stomach for it, um, don't lead, because that's what leadership is. It's, it's asserting your will on others in a way that everybody benefits from, that there's a greater good from. Um, yes, you shouldn't be asserting your will for your own self-gain, but you shouldn't be abandoning your will so, nobody gets, so that everybody's happy. Right. Because they may like you, but they're not going to respect you. Mm. So how do you deal with, how does somebody deal with the fact that, so now they, they're put in a position of power, they have power. And, you know, they're looked at as, hey, this, you know, perhaps young up-and-comer or this person who has a ton of experience. Now they're in this position and I can't wait to see what they do. Unrealistic expectations probably get put on top of them. How do people deal with that where you're in a position of power now, you're moved up in the organization and the executive team, the board, um, your peers, they all have these unrealistic expectations. What kind of unrealistic expectations are people experiencing and, and how do you deal with that? 
Oh my gosh, it's and and, and the problem is um, because of leadership failures, you start distrusted, you start expected to fail. Um, but you, if you walked in behind a leader who was hated, or you walked in behind a leader who was loved, mm. right? Either way, the yardstick's not fair, <laughs> right? So people expect you to be accessible 24-7. They expect you to read their minds and be clairvoyant. They expect you to um, make them always hopeful and um, happy and fill their inspiration tanks. They expect you to make all your decisions based on their needs for transparency. Well, the problem is they don't really want those things, right? They, that's just based on a set of um, – they want you to be perfect. You know, you're the leader now. You should do everything better than anybody else. But the reality is – that's just based on either the person they're comparing you to from the past, who they hated or loved, and because they don't trust leaders, right? So if you can make your expectations clear, you know, look, I'm going to goof. I'm going to make mistakes sometimes. I want you to tell me when I do that. Um, uh, Everything is not always going to go your way, but when I make a decision you find unfair, I want to talk about it. I want you to know what my criteria were. Um, and when, when there are injustices, I'll, I'll do my best to make them right. I cannot read your mind. Do not expect me to read your mind. But, but I, I do want to know what you think. When I ask, don't play hard to get. Tell me. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to be accessible 24-7. But if you have a problem and you need me, I want to be available to you. But I can't. But don't assume that my door is open 24-7 when it's not. I'm not going to tell you I have an open-door policy. When I, I may not always have an open-door policy. But I you need to know when I'm available and how to access me so I can help you and lead you. So here's how that goes. So if you establish expectations about those things in advance, it does prevent people from concocting unrealistic ones and imposing them on you so that you're always failing. So in the last golden nugget here that I take away, it's actually the last section of the book, Effect. You know, it's, uh, this whole section here to me speaks to how I can drive change in the organization and what are some of the things that I can do or what are the, some of the traits that I should have um, to be successful? So in here, you looked at the, fi- the 50 top executives and you discovered some interesting patterns of behavior that linked to success. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, you know, it was one of the most exciting parts of the, of the data, Ryan, was that these four patterns, um, no matter how we cut the data, in fact, my research team got got angry and exhausted because they were on like almost 100 regression analyses. I kept asking them to cut it up differently. And they, and they finally said, it's not going to change, Ron. And the problem was that these four patterns, no matter how we looked at these leaders, and there was about you know, 2,700 in the study. We isolated the top 100. And we, you know, the, the, uh, of, the, of the 100, we, the 50 top and bottom ones, not the 50 worst, but the 50 second best, right? Um, and the only way you got into that top group of successful leaders who actually didn't fail within 18 months were by doing all four well. Hmm. So that meant even if you did three of the four well, you still were in the failure group. Hmm. Wow. Um, I didn't have to say that. I didn't have to tell people, you know, <laughs> next to God and Jesus, you've got to do this. Um, so, but the great news was that the, the good thing about these four patterns is that they're learnable. You can become good at them. Um, they're not some, you know, genetic malfunction that causes you to have some superpower here. These are things you can acquire. Um, you shouldn't wait to your first big job or your first promotion to start acquiring them, but you can begin to learn them e- even in, out of college. 
So they are context. So learn to read the environment around you. Learn to pay attention to patterns. Don't just assume you have an answer everybody else needs, but be curious. Be anthropological. Collect data. Look at trends on the horizon of your organization. What are the competitors doing? What, what's about to disrupt you? You know, read the tea leaves around you. Be curious. Uh, Brett, so see the bigger picture of how all the pieces of the organization fit together. Know that you know, everybody fits into one larger story. Know what that story is. Don't assume, you know, if you grew up in finance, don't see the world economically. If you grew up in marketing, don't see the world through consumers. You know, see the bigger picture of the whole story. And recognize that it's at the seams of the organization, the places where people and groups come together, that actual real good change and good performance happens. So know what borders do you sit at. You know, if you're in supply chain, know your operations and marketing friends. If you're in sales, know your marketing and R&D friends. Um, if you're in customer service, know your sales and marketing and um, distribution friends, right? So all of you c- together create the experience of how people see your organization. Know the bigger story. Stitch the themes. Build bridges. Choice. Make the hard choices. Narrow the focus. Don't be afraid to say no. You know, know what data you need. Know what intuition you've got. Know what voices you need to include. And construct great choices, even if it means disappointing people. Don't dole out, dole out too many yeses so, you don't, so people ha- are happy with you. Say no hmm. so that when you say yes, it actually counts. And lastly, connect. So connection means that um, you know, in the study that people – the bosses, the peers, the direct reports, every, these are the people in every organization that everybody wants to be around. We, they're just the people who everybody loves, respects, they're credible, you, just, you want to learn from them. And these people were that way because they made an intentional effort to find ways to help other people succeed. They were not out for themselves. You just knew that if you were in their presence, you were going to learn, you were going to be given opportunities, your, your development was going to be a priority, and your success was going to be on their agenda. And so, you know, build relationships with those you can help succeed. Be, become empathic. Learn to care about how others are. Um, so, yeah, each of those by themselves sounds like towering capabilities. All four of them together sound daunting, but you can learn them and build them. But, but they were the things that set these executives apart and made them thrive. So uh, they can be learned. Hmm. I think just being conscious of that as well, too, and knowing that that's what you have to go after. That's why, I, number one, I just love the fact that you went through each and every single one of those in such detail. And if you're listening to this, you might want to go back and listen to it a couple times or write that down um, because it's so important. And just being aware of that um, can just help you. Um, in my opinion. And if you, you know, for, for folks who want the quick version, uh, we published the research in, in Harvard Business Review. Um, the article was called A 10-Year Study Reveals What Great Executives Know and Do, and it was actually awarded uh, one, of the, uh, one of that year's ideas that mattered most by HBR. We, it got hundreds of thousands of hits and reads. We, we, were, we were shocked at the response and thrilled that, it, that, that, that reading about these patterns resonated with people. And they got lots of comments, and I got lots of emails. It was really we, – we, we were actually unprepared for the response, <laughs> but it was very gratifying. And so that article's out there on HBR. Folks want to go find the short form. Oh, I love it. Definitely check that out then. Everyone listening, definitely get out there, check it out, pick it up. And, uh, you know, for me, listening, reading the book, um, you know, it, it was really important for me to learn that as well because I made a lot of these mistakes um, coming up in my career, a lot of these mistakes. And I really wish that I had kept some of these, these approaches, these tactics, these strategies in mind um, just in terms of how to, how to navigate because I just think the challenge is when you move up, you're so concerned with doing a good job and, and it's so damn easy to make a mistake. 
just because I just didn't know better. And so your years right. of work, your 10 plus years of work going into this book, um, I think that anyone who's studying their career, whether you're a student or whether you're you know, 40, 50 years old and you're still in there and you're wanting to move up, you got to pick it up. You got to listen to this and you have to keep some of this in mind because it's going to protect you. But a question for you. Let's just say that you know, you're dealing with uh, a client of yours and, and somebody has, um, you know, they're, they're, they're wanting to move up in the world. And um, what's the number one piece of advice that you would give them, I guess, to keep in mind? Because there's a lot of great takeaways from this book. But for you, what's the most salient piece that you would give them? Um, uh, well, it's sort of a two-part. One, pr- prepare, right? So know, know the context that you're going to be stepping into and get ready for that environment. And two, ask for feedback, Right? At the end of the day, other people are going to have their eyes on you. They're going to be talking about you. They're going to have thoughts about you. Ask for them. Don't be afraid to, to go and ask those around you for what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, how you can improve. At the end of the day, that level of vulnerability and exposure is your safest place. Hiding from it may feel safer. It's actually dangerous because you're isolated. So there's, a, there's already a conversation about you happening. Get in on it. Mm, absolutely love that final takeaway. That's Rising to Power, The Journey of Exceptional Executives by Ron Carucci. Ron, thank you so much for coming on the show. If anyone wants to get in touch with you or um, read up on, on anything that you're writing or anything that you're producing, how do they do that? Yeah, thanks for asking, Ryan. So please come visit us at www.navalent.com. Uh, we have a free magazine for you quarterly on all kinds of issues of leadership. If you go to the, the book section and Rising to Power, there's a, a free executive summary of the book you can download before you get the book. You can also get the book at the website. You can also get read some of the research. If you come to www.navalin.com slash transformation, we also have a free ebook for you on leading transformation. So if you've got some big change in front of you you've got to get done, get that free ebook. It'll give you our our you know, 100-plus years combined experience as a firm of how it is we see transformation actually stick in organizations. Um, Twitter, at Ron Carucci, uh, also on LinkedIn. So let's keep the conversation going. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ron. I greatly appreciate it. Ryan, the pleasure's mine. Thanks for having me. All right, my friends, there we have it. That's Rising to Power, The Journey of Exceptional Executives by Ron Carucci. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed the interview, then please go online, rate and review the show. Send me your rating, send me your review by email, take a picture of it, just so I know that you reviewed it, and I'm going to enter you into a draw. In the next two weeks, I'm going to do the draw for the MacBook Air. So get your ratings in, get your reviews in, and uh, best of luck to you. All right, my friends, that is a wrap. So thank you so much for joining me again on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast. Always excited to be here, and after two weeks off, man, I'm just just happy to be back. Happy to be back and in good health, of course. But until next week, my friends, I hope you have a productive week, a fantastic week. And I'll catch you back here with a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with the author. And again, I'm here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time. I'll catch you next week. Take care. I love you guys. Flunking out of college, at a 1.7 grade point average. I hope none of you can relate. <laughs> at a 1.7 grade point average, I was sitting in my mother's beauty shop. They still call it beauty shops now. What they call it? Yeah, I was sitting in the beauty parlor. I was sitting in my mother's beauty parlor, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I see behind me this woman under the dryer, 
And every time she looked up, she, every time I looked up, she was looking at me, just looking me in the eye. And I didn't know who she was, and I said, you know, she said, somebody give me a pen, give me a pencil, I have a prophecy. March 27, 1975, she said, boy, you are gonna travel the world and speak to millions of people. Now, mind you, I flunked out of college. I'm thinking about joining the army. I didn't know what I was gonna do, and she's telling me I'm gonna travel the world and speak to millions of people. Well, I have traveled the world, and I have spoke to millions of people. But that's not the most important thing, the success that I had. The most important thing is that what she taught me and what she told me that day has stayed with me since. I've been protected. I've been directed. I've been corrected. Fail big. That's right. Fail big. You only live once. So do what you feel passionate about, passionate about. Take chances professionally. Don't be afraid to fail. There's an old IQ test was nine dots. And you had to draw five lines with a pencil within these nine dots without lifting the pencil. The only way to do it was to go outside the box. So don't be afraid to go outside the box. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to fail big, to dream big. But remember, dreams without goals are just dreams. And they ultimately fuel disappointment. So have dreams, but have goals, life goals, yearly goals monthly goals, daily goals. I try to give myself a goal every day. And understand that to achieve these goals, you must apply discipline and consistency. You have to work at it every day. You have to plan every day. You've heard the saying, we don't plan to fail. We fail to plan. Hard work works. Working really hard is what successful people do. And in this text, tweet, twerk world that you've grown up in, remember, just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done. Remember that. Just because you're doing a lot more doesn't mean you're getting a lot more done. Don't confuse movement with progress. My mother told me, she said, yeah, because you can run in place all the time and never get anywhere. So continue to strive, continue to have goals, continue to progress. And anything you want good, you can have. So claim it. Work hard to get it. When you get it, reach back. Pull someone else up. Each one, teach one. Don't just aspire to make a living. Aspire to make a difference. <laughs>